guys, welcome to Band Advice TV. I am your co-host, Mark Allen B, and this is my other co-host, Matt Mason. How you doing out there, Earth Rockers? Uh, Matt Mason. By the way, if you lean this close to the microphone, it's called proximity effect. <laughs> you learned a new word. I learned it, and I'm using it a lot. <laughs> you know, when you get to this age, you start learning stuff, you got to show it off. It's like when you're, you're, you're seven, it's like, I learned a new word, show it off. Then you go through this whole, you know, another 40 years where nobody gives a crap. And it's like, no, I learned something new now. Old dog, new tricks. Yeah, right. <sighs> I like to learn, man. Yeah, I, I know. Too. Oh, I love so, TED Talks. So, oh, man. oh, man. Yeah, heck yeah. Uh, did you do you ever? I'm sure you listen to NPR, right? Of course. Okay, right. Did you happen to catch? I think it was last week where they're talking about copyrights, and uh, it was it was the TED Talk Hour. So they got a little TED Talks segments here, and they're talking all about copyrights and and it's fascinating. Well, the world of copyrights is fascinating anyway, and it's mm. constantly changing and evolving thanks to the internet and, and and stuff like that. But you realize that in the fashion industry, there's no copyrights. Really? Now, if you if you sketch something out on a piece of paper, that's copyrighted. Of course, so the moment that you put pen to paper, it's copyrighted. They can't register it. But the moment that they take that sketch and they turn it into actual dress or outfit or whatever, mm-hmm. wide open. There's nothing to protect. That's it. crazy. But it actually kind of the thing that you can't use, of course, is the uh, is the logo. So really, it's about building the brand once again, like everything else, about building the brand. I know. So they said, you know, doing these copies. Sometimes helps out the fashion industry because you got somebody say, "Well, this is a knockoff of Jimmy Choo." Well, now you just threw the name Jimmy Choo out there. And then you're always going to get those people that are going to be like, "Well, I want the original. You know, I'm not going to have a knockoff. I'm going to buy the original Jimmy Choo, even though I saw this one first and thought it was cool." Yeah. I mean, you could say the same thing about like Epiphone and Gibson, right? You know, well, you know, the Epiphone guitars—they're <laughs> really, really good guitars. Yeah. However, some people want just to get the they'll, they'll spend the extra money for the Gibson. So and I'm actually toying with that right now. I'm looking to get an ES three thirty five. It's like Dude, you can find you one of those Epiphone dot necks uh, for like two hundred. Right, right. Well even a brand new three thirty five uh, Epiphone is it's like four hundred maybe four hundred and a quarter. So it's like the three thirty nine. It's a little smaller right. body. I've got a larger body, so I need a larger body. Yeah, so. But play one of those first, should, though. Should, the full yeah. sizers. It, it's it's quite a huge guitar. It, I mean, yeah. I'm a little guy, you know. And so. I need to find a place that's got them around here, because I was just going to mail order from Sweetwater or something like that. Oh, but, yeah. right on. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. All right, so. Music. You know, music. We took a little time off. I'm sorry about the time off. I, my father passed away. Not to bring a downer on it, but I do want to talk a tad bit about him, because it wasn't for him. Should, we would not be here right now. No, seriously, because I would not be the musician. You and I never would have met that fateful day in, in Stillwater, Oklahoma, yeah, 28 right. years ago, 27 years ago. And, you know, but he he was, he played guitar. He aspired to play guitar. I mean, he was, he was pretty good. Uh, he always wanted better. You know, he, he, but, you know, with the, okay, let me show you something real quick. The age of 15. Now, I'm sorry for all you people listening, but you'll have to come on over to YouTube and check it out. Age of 15, he bought this thing. This is old school Harmony, hollow body, arch top. That is cool, man. He played this thing, and I can remember when he actually bought the next one. And we were in Milwaukee, and it was right around 76, 77, and that's when he ended up buying an Epiphone, oddly yeah. enough. And, uh, you know, he had a guy that was a Martin fan. I mean, this guy had a $3,000 Martin back in the 70s. and. Uh, but he went and bought this 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 Epiphone that was at his recommendation. It's pretty cool. So yeah, he had this thing laying around the house for years and years and years. 
one day I just, uh, you know, I, I hadn't quite, I, I was writing songs, but never had the patience to learn to play guitar at the time. So I'd just write little songs, little ditties and things like that, put them on a piece of paper and forget about them. But I think it was about 13 or 14 and some friends of mine says, oh, we're putting a band together. It's like, oh, cool. Well, I know my dad's got an extra guitar, so. You know, I'll go home this weekend and learn how to play it, and then we'll get a band together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he gave me this guitar, and he gave me his, his Mill Bay book. It shows me the chords. I learned G, C. He showed you all the chords, probably. Well, it did, but <laughs> I, learned this, the key of, I learned the key of C, of course, because that's what everybody does, no sharps or flats. So I learned the, which is actually the worst if you're trying to learn how to play guitar, because trying to, to, to finger the F chord, it's not the easiest for a brand new, brand new uh, no, guitar player. Sure so. not. But anyway. I learned those chords, and I, uh, I played those chords forever. And it, uh, <laughs> I think it was about a year or so later, my father came in lovingly into my room while I was jamming on this very guitar here. and says, "You're gonna, you're gonna take lessons." Of course, no, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna self-taught. He goes, "No, you're gonna take lessons." Yeah, I think he was. I think he's tired of hearing G, C, and F. <clears throat> I really do. Yeah. So, so that's where it started, you know. And, and my parents. They were huge, huge bluegrass fans. And this is coming in, you know, mid to late 70s. This is, you know, the the folk thing, the, the Woodstock thing, it kind of progressed into the bluegrass side, so a lot of the hippies and all that. So I went to a lot of those little festivals out there. That's so cool, man. Smell the, ooh, that smell. Sweet smell in the, the air. Sweet smell in the air. Man, one Didn't thing I Didn't know what really, that was. Is that was a funny-smelling cigarettes, Mom. Yeah, <laughs> I really like going to this. It's like. They have like kind of a bunch of the local bluegrass country people come mm-hmm. play at the Totem Pole Barbecue once a year. Oh, nice! You know, it's like a Route sixty six attraction out mm-hmm. by my house, and so I love to go and watch them because they show up and it's like no amplifiers, it's all acoustic, you know. And some of these people are like related, you know, and so they'll have banjo and stand up uh-huh. bass and guitar and tenor guitar and just like. They're doing it because they really like the music. They're not sure. doing it for any other reason, and there's a purity in that that mm-hmm. really is inspiring. And, you know, a lot of the stuff is very simple. You know, it's three, sure. three, three chords, chords of the truth. Two chords, you know. Uh, <laughs> they all believe that, like, if you can't play something on acoustic, then it's probably not a very good song. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, it's kind of funny to talk to him and listen to him play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but it, it's just real inspiring, probably, as I imagine, kind of the same kind of deal you guys oh, yeah. grew up going to, you know. You know, because we did that. We did a lot of the Bluegrass Festival, especially when we moved to Oklahoma. So uh, there was a place called Powderhorn Park. is out in Langley, which is Disney, right by the Grand River, Grand River Dam there. And, uh, oh, gosh, they would always have a big festival, Memorial Day, a big one and, on Labor Day, and then there's a couple in between. Mm-hmm. There's also a place called Cripple Creek, which is right outside of Rogers State College, kind of go up the street a little bit. And these things, it's one of those where you go out there, you, you, my dad actually bought a hole behind camper. We go out there Friday <laughs> night nice. and set up the camper and then you got live music going on at the stages and then out in the, out in the camping area, you had all these little jam yeah. sessions. And, you know, people just kind of go from this jam to this jam to this jam. And these things would go on all hours of the night. Right. Well, they could because one thing we learned is that, you know, they're, they're old school Baptists. So there was no drinking going on. Nobody's drinking beer out there. So it was. They just stay up all night drinking coffee and playing guitars. It's like, well, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, man. And I hated it. Oh, I hated it so much. It's like, I want my Van Halen. I yeah, want this. right. And I have a quiet riot cassette tape in my Walkman to try to drown this out. I'm trying to sleep and I hear them. It's like, and I, I hate myself for not enjoying it at the time. Because I'm telling you what, bluegrass pickers, dude, 
some of the best players in the Absolutely. world. Absolutely. There's, there's no question about it. The things that they can do on an acoustic guitar and switching between minor mode, Dorian, blah, 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 back and forth, and you never even know what's happening. Amazing. You make your guitar sound like a fiddle. You make a fiddle sound like a banjo. It's like, oh, it's, it's you know, you've been Larry Fast. You know what yeah, that's like. It's, yeah. You try to keep up with Larry. It's like, come on, no way. Uh. <laughs> Man, I went and seen Ricky Skaggs in Kentucky Thunder. Oh, dude. I, met, I met him after the show in Claremore. Oh, One nice, of the last nice. years they had the Bluegrass Festival right, up there. Right. Man, I'm telling you, you know, I've been listening to Ricky Skaggs forever. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, what got me was Country Boy. You know, in the eighties that was a it was a cover of a song mm-hmm. by Head Hands and Feet. It was a band that Albert Lee was in mm-hmm. in the seventies. And so Country Boy was where he got me, but now he's kind of like, you know, bluegrass, more traditional type stuff. Yeah. He's yeah. not playing much electric guitar, he's playing acoustic guitar, well, mandolin. His his career's ebbed and flowed on that yeah, too, because yeah. because now the, the traditional bluegrass is it became cool after we're out our brother were out though. Yeah. It's still kind of hanging on there too. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, even a, even more now with uh, with the Ken Burns uh, country music. Song. Man, man I mean, that was a string cool... bands are a big thing, you know. Bands, yeah. I just thought that was so cool to get it, be able to see him. And I brought that. I had this album. It was like I think he did it like eighty five or so. And it's like Ricky Skaggs live in London, you know. And I, I wait wait in this little line, you know, and I, I flop it down on the table. I'm like, man, I've been listening to you forever. He goes, I guess so. If you got this, nice, <laughs> nice. I mean, he's got you know perfect motorcycle helmet hair. Oh, I know, and it's badass all green. Tail, you know, it's just like now he's like, you know, he's like the elder statesman of this kind of music, is. man. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, it's so inspiring because I tend to like things that I don't do. Well, why not? You know, it's like if I if I can watch something and go, I can play that. I I know how to play it. Whatever. That's not near as exciting as watching something that i can't do oh true yeah it's all about you know, just being inspired i guess yeah. yeah i mean and you come out of a show like watching ricky skaggs you're like i don't feel good about even telling people i play guitar <laughs> I, maybe you should yeah rephrase yeah. that to i own right a right. guitar yeah. yeah we've all had those <laughs> maybe moments. something like that you know we went to generation x i'm like Oh God, that was torture sitting there with the freaking uh, thing on my hand. Oh yeah, I was you like, can't even go home and oh, try to play around. It's like, oh. and by the time I got home, it's like, oh my gosh, I just don't, I can't. You know, I'm that, watching, I'm watching Zach right in front of me. It was so amazing. Shredding, and then he walks off, and I'm watching Steve come right by me, and it's like, oh my God, this is my hero. I loved it how Vi came out there. That was so yeah, great. Was, all of a sudden, I look around, and the, oh, there he is. And yeah. Last time I saw Vi too. Both times I saw Vi, he walked right by me. It's like I could just high five him, and it's like. I just wanted one of his Man, picks. I met him in Los Angeles. <laughs> I shook his hand. It's like it's like shaking hands with an alien. His right. fingers are real long, and it was just—I mean, he's real tall and real uh-huh. skinny. You know, I'm a short—I'm a short guy, but man, it was just—that was otherworldly meeting that dude. Uh, but he just posted something on his Instagram or something. He goes, yeah, I've been known to have notoriously long fingers, and he put his hands up next to somebody else that had longer fingers, and he's like, but but, man, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. crazy. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, so the bluegrass stuff, man. You know, my my folks were my. My folks are huge country music, old country music, mm-hmm. uh, groupies. My mom hung out with Wilma Lee Cooper, Little Jimmy Dickens, which I happen to see Little Jimmy nah. Dickens at the Ryman Auditorium, <laughs> one of his last performances what? before he passed away. That, well, it's, it's when Nashville had those big floods about 10 years ago. My wife had was planned a surprise vacation to go out to Nashville, and that's when they had the floods. So we were out there like a week after. So they had to actually move the uh, Grand Ole Opry to the Ryman, which <laughs> scored for me because that's... Ryman is a Ryman. Yeah, man. So, you know, and little Jimmy Dickens is out there. It's like, oh, my, my, when I told my mom and dad about that, they was like, oh, I remember meeting him years ago. He's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're big groupies of them. And so just my first concert, Alpine Valley, Wisconsin, Lester Flat and Earl Scruggs. Nice. Uh huh. Awesome. This is circa 70. 
74, 75. Bang. And your mom's like, you gotta go. I go, who are they? You go, the Beverly Hillbilly soundtrack. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> man. That is cool. So I guess my whole point, that, those are my influences. And then, of course, it, you know, just is the people you meet going on from there. But that, that's my roots. Yeah, man. So what's what, your roots? That's what lit the fire for you, you know? Yeah. Man, you know, I, my parents enrolled me in, in uh, Suzuki Violin when I was about second grade. And so I played for five years. I got, you know, through maybe about book five or so. Mm-hmm. And it was real regimented. It was real strict. It was not cool. <laughs> and so I, I just decided that I just didn't want to do it anymore. You know, yeah. Even though I, I'd gotten pretty far at it, and I, I felt like, you know, looking back on it, that's some of the best music instruction in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like if it's not on the page, don't play it. I mean. Yeah. And so it, t- it teaches you a lot of the finer points of music and music theory and playing in an ensemble and all these all these things. And so a couple of years go by, and, and I'm just like, I think maybe like, oh, you know, I heard like Flick of the Switch by ACDC. Oh, man. On Headbangers Ball. You know, <laughs> they had that live video that they played, you know. Yeah. And it was just like, my God, that guitar sounds like a band of demons about ready to take over the earth. I mean, yeah, it just yeah. was like, how do they get it to sound like that, you know? And, uh, you know, I, I listened to country music a lot when I was a kid. I seen Alabama and Charlie Daniels when I was real little. I seen Waylon Jennings. Oh. That was probably, like, one of the first live concerts I ever saw. Mm-hmm. And I, that changed my life there. I was just like, sure. You know, he's, I became a huge Waylon fan, of course, when Dukes of Hazzard came out. I'm well, like, that was who, right about that who, time. Who hasn't become a Waylon yeah. fan because of that? Which... And so, like, I remember, like, you know, because I used to go up to uh uh, family reunions, table, table Rock Lake, Lake of the Ozarks, mm-hmm. something like that, and then I'd ride back to Kansas City with my grandparents. And so I'd spend a week in Kansas City with my grandparents. We'd go fishing and go to Worlds of Fun and Royals Game and Oceans of Fun, all this stuff. Well, we pull up to the ticket window, you know, to pick up the tickets for Worlds of Fun. And my grandpa hands them across the seat to me, you know, and I'd open up the deal, and it's like this little flyer in there says "Tonight in Concert, Waylon Jennings." And I'm like are you kidding? <laughs> are you serious? That's today. That's nice. <laughs> and so I was just like, totally by accident, he played in this little arena at, you know, Worlds of Fun. They had a lot of shows there in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. And man, I'm telling you, just feeling that bass and just watching and listening, it was just like, that really set me off, you mm-hmm. know? And then later, I remember going to this party after a soccer game or something at Pizza Inn or Pizza Hut and, you know, Plugging quarters in the jukebox and hearing Godfather's like, Pizza. It's yeah, gotta like, be Godfather's back then, right? Well, this is, I think this was Muskogee. Oh, okay. Like in probably, you know, 78, 9, somewhere in there. And All I remember, right. yeah. you know, just plugging jukebox quarters in the jukebox and, you know, just like that was right in the moment when I realized the power that music had, you know. It was yeah. Just like, wow, you know, I, I just felt the power of it and I uh, kind of started to become cognizant of the power that it had, you know, the people react to it when it's played, you know. And mm-hmm. then when I saw these concerts early on, I was just like, man, I want to get in on this somehow or another. And so, you know, and I played the violin, we spent maybe about it six months or so towards the end there, like, you know, teach me some fiddle songs. Mm-hmm. And so just to try to maybe keep me going, keep me interested, because I just love Charlie Daniels. Yeah. Seen him up for Alabama at the Maybe Center and you know, it was like I just couldn't I just couldn't keep my interest on that. So a couple of years went by and I started playing guitar and it was like man, it just made me feel good, you know. It just made me feel like I could say something a lot louder and a lot more pointed than I could talking, you know. Mm-hmm. 
And so I just decided that uh, I really wanted to make that path something I wanted to travel down. And, you know, I mean, if you want to be rich and famous, there's other easier ways of doing it. I just never really crossed my mind other than I just want to spend my life studying and playing and performing and Mm -hmm. just getting into it and just becoming a scholar of all this beautiful stuff, whether it's, you know, uh, classical music or country music Mm -hmm. or you know, anything that's real with a lot of conviction. That's sure, what I tend sure. to so, sort of go go with. And I mean, I, I love metal. I love country. I love blues. I love, you know, I love it all. And I've had a few people along the way that have really helped steer my ship in the right way and kind of like just mentally, you know, develop a way of thinking about this as a life and a lifestyle that, you know, maybe wouldn't have happened and I've not met certain people when mm-hmm. I was coming up, you know. My friend Joe, he was, you know, really, he'd been playing like 30 years when I met him. I was a teenager. I'd go over there and I'd be like, well, tell me about this Muddy Waters. And he'd, <laughs> he'd pull down a handful of Muddy Waters oh, records. Oh, man, that's got to be you cool. Know, throw them on the turntable and we'd yeah. play pool and listen to that. And he's like, all right, pick up your guitar. Let's try Let me show you how to play some of this. I mean, Muddy, I just Muddy remember, Waters invented electricity. Yeah, right. That crossroads. <laughs> and then, like you know, he had a he had a four track and a few other pieces of gear. So I did a few little you know jackass demos over there with nice. my band friends and stuff. And he four he was tracks. always real encouraging, but he he always was telling me you know he's like this is gonna be a tough way to make it if you're gonna try to do this all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's like I I, I didn't choose that path because I knew it was gonna be real tough, and I knew that you know. I wanted to do other things in addition to that now. Mm-hmm. So he shot it to me straight, you know, and, you know, Ace, rest his soul. He was, yeah. he was the same way, man. He was just like, he'd been watching me for a long time. And it was like, when I met him, he really showed me and taught me and, you know, schooled me on just some of the finer points of being able to do this as a, as a life yeah. and a lifestyle, you know, in a way of, Kind of trying to figure out who you are and right. turn it up to ten. Yeah, he's he was uh, a quintessential bass player. He's just his persona. He's up there. He's playing just in kind of quiet, and he's like all knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. Yeah, you notice about confident bass players like they're all knowledgeable. Yeah, you know, man, he like, knows. Every... This is the way he needs to go. And I know the drummer's about to do this. So I'm going to do this. And that guitar player better keep up with me. Yeah, so. man. He was just like <laughs> yeah. He was so melodic, but he was a groover too. Yeah, you know, yeah. a lot of times you get like, okay, well, this guy's a groover. Well, he plays with very little notes, and then the melodic guys, you know, they kind of sometimes overdo it. But he was just a great mix of all of that. You mm-hmm. know, he studied everybody from James Jamerson to anybody that was regarded as great. He yep. studied it yep. and would sit in that studio for hours and learn how to play it. And then you know, we'd talk about it and just. Those are the kind of people that, you know, they took a shine to me and they saw my enthusiasm in music and they tried to show me what they knew and help me along, you know. Yeah, and, that's cool. Uh, my parents, they love me and they support me and stuff, you know. They they, they like what I'm doing, I guess, okay, but they don't understand. Yeah, yeah I, I ran into the same thing, too. They, so. they, they don't understand how, why it's got to be so loud all the time. And, you know, my parents are a little bit older. You know, they, they graduated in, like, the early 60s. They spent a lot of time mm-hmm, overseas mm-hmm. in the 70s and stuff. And so, you know, they're not really, they don't understand what the fascination Crazy of this is. Crazy rock and roll of music. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> they're like I thought you were going to quit this by age 30. And I'm like, no, hell no. <laughs> I think some, like, I know with me, you know, the my dad, he was very cautious about being supportive of my mom as well. It's like, 
okay, you can have your fun. It's a good hobby, but but you should go to college. You got algebra homework and you got to do. Al- right, and that kind of stuff. So they always kind of kept it at arm's length. But, you know, it's like when I wanted to get a new pedal or something like that, they'd go out and get it for me for my birthday and stuff. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, I tell you, <laughs> there, there were a couple of times. Well, there's one time that it just really was validated. It was about two years ago. Um, my mom had passed away, but dad was coming to church with us. <clears throat> and I was playing in the, in the church band, playing guitar. Well, this is the one time that I was allowed. Not allowed. <laughs> this is the one time in which I was going to actually sing a song and lead the song. Oh, yeah. And I chose Dave Crowder's All My Hope. It's a, it's a bluesy, gospely thing. First time I heard it, it's like, this is the music I love. Because that's what I grew up uh, Well, bluegrass is what kind of got me into music blues is what dad and i we shared the blues and the gospel and so we listened to uh the kmod late night blues on sunday nights and stuff you know that's so this was one of those songs all my hope is in jesus so i went up and i sang that song and uh, then went back afterwards sat down and dad was just standing there and he's clapping he goes i am so proud of you like, <laughs> that's awesome that that made it all worth it, man. That made sure. 30 years of listening to you. You're not going to be a rock and roll star. Because, <laughs> you know, parents have to do that. you got to keep you in check a little bit. So, so they kept me in check. And that's great. Because otherwise I would have been that idiot would have drove off to L.A. and been homeless on the Sunset Strip. Because I sucked at that time. Yeah. <laughs> I know right being on the Sunset Strip when I was, you know, 19 years old. Well, but, that's just, you go out there to learn it, you know. Right, yeah. But you got to. I would not have been successful, right? Because I was not there at that time, but I got to the point where school. So yeah, I love. Yeah, it was cool. It's just really cool. So, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Parents, you know, parents are parents. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you can be supportive to a point, but you got to be real too. I kind of like it. I got to the point where I was like, you know, I understand my parents don't understand what what's kept me amused with this for all these years, and I guess I can't expect them to. You know, understand it. I can't expect them to understand. But they still love you, and that's really what's matters. Yeah, right. And so, you know, I mean, they they think if if I think it's okay, they're they're okay with it. I guess. Now, like I said, if I'm looking for compliments, they're never going to hand them out. They're going to say some funny, hilarious stuff most of the time. I mean, I tried to get them to come see me at the Brady. They didn't even make that. I was yeah. just like, man, what? First time you and I played at Mayfest, mom and dad didn't show up either. I, I got was the whole like, excuse. Well, that's your father's dinner time. I was like, this is a big show. Come on. <laughs> yeah. And they, they didn't want to, they didn't want to come. No, they didn't even, yeah, my folks I don't think either of our folks came out for uh we'll remember. No, my dad's got tinnitus and he's like, Matt, you know, you play so damn loud. Every time I try <laughs> Turn to, it down. Time I see you play, it's just my ears ring and you know, it's uncomfortable yeah. for him. Yeah. You know? Well, I know that, man. I I don't go to a concert without earplugs anymore. So. <laughs> Old man ears. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly taking him in and out last night. It's like, oh, acoustic part. I can listen to that. Oh, no. Oh, oh getting too loud. Nope, nope. <laughs> but anyway. Well, that's cool. So some of your other inspirations, man. Well, you know, uh, later on, I, I started kind of like branch out to different kinds of music and met a lot of people. Like one of my good friends, he's, uh, his name's Ted Russell Camp. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a uh, he's originally from New York State, but uh, he ended up uh, after a stint playing in Seattle. He played jazz in Seattle for five years. Ooh, nice! And uh, so he ended up in Los Angeles, and he got in this got in this band with Shooter Jennings, Waylon Waylon Jesse's mm-hmm. kid. And so I mean, I remember the first review I read of that album. I was just like, man, this is gonna be awesome. I <laughs> love Waylon. I love 
Jesse. Sure. I've been reading about Shooter for a long time, wondering what he's doing, because he was in this band called Stargun 4. Mm-hmm. And that was like rock and roll band stuff. You know, I heard rumors he had tried out to be the sing- the new singer for Guns N' Roses and stuff. So I was really? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. That bassy voice that he's got? Yeah. Wow, okay. And so, right. you know, this is around the... Uh, Chinese democracy, uh, however long that went on. <laughs> but uh, so, so, so Ted ended up playing GNR two or is it GNR one? Yeah. Know, anyway, Mach two, <laughs> Mach two. And so, so Ted ended up playing in Shooter's band. And long story short, I just kept on reaching out to him, kept on reaching out to him. And so I, I met up with him when they came and played in Tulsa, and we talked, and he agreed to help me, you know, produce some recordings and go out on the road with them in texas nice so there was a couple of years there where we went hot and heavy at it playing in texas and playing in oklahoma and recording in oklahoma and recording in texas and you know i just learned a lot about musicality from a guy like him because he's like you know we'd go and play crazy ass country rock and originals and maybe it'd be like an acoustic duo gig and then Mm -hmm. we'd go play you know rehearse for a couple hours with this rhythm section and then we'd go play a three-hour bar gig that night. You know? and <laughs> just all these different situations that I found myself in, it was kind of like I felt myself having to kind of step up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, After having been the Boston TV star in my own band for all these years, it was like all of a sudden. <laughs> the boss and the TV star. Yeah, all of a sudden I'm like, the, nice. you know, the Cub Scout, the Tenderfoot. Right, you know? right, right. And I'm just still like sitting there in amazement at certain times. You know, I remember – him and me and Cody Jinks playing this gig in Fort Worth. Now, Cody Jinks just recently sold out two nights at the Hard Rock. Two nights sold out wow. at the Hard Rock. Okay. So me and, T- and Cody and Ted played the songwriter pool in Fort Worth. And I won't even tell you how low the, the pay was. For the three <laughs> of us split this low, crazy amount of money. It was Did you amazing. buy a pack of smokes? Yeah. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow, man, C- Cody's guitar player. It was this other guy named Chris, uh, who Ted and I played with in this band that Ted assembled in Texas to do these gigs down there. And so Chris is playing with Cody now. And it's just so awesome to see those guys doing so awesome, you know, mm-hmm. um, Ted and Shooter and them opened up for uh, Guns N' Roses a couple of dates in October. Kind of full circle there, huh? Yeah. And so it's like. <laughs> You know, Shooter produced Duff's solo album. So they went out like in the summer and they did like two weeks in the States and they did like two weeks in the Europe. And so, you know, Ted played bass and they, you know, they did a Shooter set first and then they played, you know, backed up Duff on his mm-hmm. set. So Duff plays guitar a lot. Ted play, would play bass and stuff. So it was just like really awesome. And then, you know, I hear they're opening up for Guns N' Roses and Guns N' Roses takes back up. And I'm like, holy cow. Mm-hmm. I, I text him. I said, hey, man, I'd love to hear you guys through a big PA like that. Because I think they play like Jacksonville, like somewhere in North Carolina or something like huh. that. And I was going to go out there. I just had four, four, five, six gigs that week. I just couldn't make it. You oh, know, it 16 hours out there or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's really inspiring. It's like, you know, you see these people that are being successful at some level. You know, it makes you feel like, hey, you know, I'm on the right track. I got my paddle in the right side of the boat. You know, I'm trying mm-hmm. to trying to align myself with, you know, people who are getting out there a little bit more than I was last year, two years, five or yeah. ten years ago, you know. They've just all helped me in one way or the other, just kind of boil it down to, like, 
your essence of what you are and what mm-hmm. you do and stuff. Sure. And so I feel like that's really useful because it's really confusing. There's lots of different ways you can go with this. And right. Just like sheer bewilderment of what do you do now? <laughs> yeah. You know, because the last five things I tried didn't work. Right. right. And so a lot of people give up at that point. Sure. But I'm a tenacious little monkey. <laughs> you are. You are. But I just saw, I was just saw, to that point about giving up, I just saw an article about Fender. I think Fender, because they're trying some new big surprise campaign thing. And they said that studies show that most people that are trying to learn how to play guitar give up in the first year. Yeah, I agree with them. Right. Like and three months, what we're like. Yeah, yeah, true that. Uh, so I, I'm not, I have not had a chance to really follow up with what Fender's trying to do. I don't know if they're uh, trying to have some sort of encouraging thing or some sort of community. Well, they got a big, pretty big lesson deal going is that on. What's, online, is think. that what they're doing? Because yeah. I knew there's some big announcements supposed to happen last week, and I just didn't follow up. Mm. But yeah, it's, you know. Then they got some more contours built into some of their models and stuff. Okay, cool. Which is odd since supposedly, like, the most guitar players now taking it up are now women. I mean, that is lots true. Lots of women are taking up. Guitar. That is true, and that's I think that's really what they're they're going after. Is you got you got to go after the biggest after, share of the market, I mean, man. I mean, they're Fender. Come I, on, it's we haven't had a whole lot of you know guitar heroes that are wearing Jennifer Bates, uh, 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 Sam Burroughs' girlfriend, Orianthana. Oh, Orianthi. Orianthana. Is that how you pronounce it? Something like that. Sorry. Yeah. It doesn't hurt. I've had a little bit too like, much oil fire. It, it doesn't hurt <laughs> that she's like supermodel good looking. Well, yeah, that's but true. I mean, I, man, I, I, I oh, shoot, dude, I was sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I went to they had the, the best guitarist to Tulsa competition back. I'm gonna date myself, but I was about eighteen, and I was over at the Windjammer, so they actually opened it up for kids under twenty one who can go in there and oh, do yeah. it. And I just I went up there and I had this really cool cl- uh, Spanish classical shredding thing I did, and you know. And a lot of guys come up, man, that's awesome. And also this girl went up there. And she's just knocking it out of the park, doing Steve Vai stuff, hitting that whammy bar. And it's like, really? I lost. Isn't that what her name was? <laughs> no. No, but I don't think anybody heard what her name was. They're just like, uh. Did she play in a band? I don't know. No, because it was just, you go up there, you have two minutes to do your thing. Okay. I didn't know and if you knew her from Tulsa. No, no, because I was just, I was actually in Stillwater at the time. So okay. my, my exposure to the scene was just driving out there once in a while. I see. So. But yeah, it's just. That was so unique, and I think that's one of the reasons why everybody is so hip on it. And it's like, these girls are doing it. So, yeah, yeah, right. Even but, back then, you didn't see girls that played guitar like that. No, no, not at all. And I guess you do see a lot of women that are playing guitar now because mm-hmm. they're they're doing their thing, and you know, it's not it's beyond the you know the jewel acoustic kind of stuff. You're, you're seeing people that are mm-hmm. really getting into it. Yeah, they're breaking they're breaking through the glass ceiling. Yeah, well, Alice Cooper, man, he's he's had women guitar players for years, and he's got some pretty oh yeah pretty good ones. Nina Strauss, she's really good. She's really good. He's had a couple others beside her too as well. So that's it's great. So yeah, if if uh, Fender's going after them, actually more power to them. No doubt, no doubt. So, well, cool. Uh, So let's kind of wrap this up. Best piece of advice you ever got from somebody? Man. Other than don't quit your day job. Because <laughs> everybody has or will get that piece of advice at some point in time. I promise I'd you say, <laughs> you know, like, uh, I went to this Zach Wild clinic. I've been to a couple of them when, you know, this was like pre-No More Tears. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember that picture of yours. Yeah, so. <laughs> and so I, I asked him, I said, uh, you know, what what is it, you know, to, to sound in yourself unique? Putting, getting a style together. He's just like, well, you know, a lot of people, you know, they can get pretty good and they can copy somebody. They can copy their favorite player. Right. So for a few years, you know, okay, 
Matt's known as the Ace Fraley coffee cat. <laughs> nice, you know, and he's got a Ace Fraley Les Paul, and he's got mm. da 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 da, and he's got all these videos of him playing Ace Fraley solos on YouTube, and blah 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 blah. Okay, well. That's cool, but there's already one Ace Fraley. Right. He's already been immensely successful doing it. You're just following in the wake of that. Right. So, you know, he's like, well, the first thing is, don't just listen to me. Listen to my influences. Try to figure out where I came from, mm -hmm. you know. And so, at the time, he was touting, you know, Frank Marino and Mahogany Rush and the Eagles and ZZ Top. And, you know, all that really wasn't all that hip and cool in the late 80s. Right. You know, but he was like really into that. And I went and I sought out some of those recordings and I was like, I get it now. Right. I was like, wow, man, this is like behind the curtain, you know? Uh -huh. And so that is just really good advice. It was like, okay. Look at your hero's influence. Yeah, right. Nice. Who, who are they talking about? Right. Okay, if Steve Morris is bragging about Alan Holdsworth or Eddie Van Halen's bragging about Alan Holdsworth, and Maybe you should check out some Alan Holdsworth That's... and realize just how difficult that shit is. To right, play, right. Know? But I mean, it's it's a good point though. You you take your influence, you look what their influences are, you yeah. go back to that, and then you build your own mm -hmm. style off of the that yeah. foundation that they just laid for. That's yeah. really cool. I like that. Yeah. Like so like trying to forge your own style, it's sure. like I don't care who it is. You know, you can like you can hear all the you can hear the greats and go, man, that sounds just like Eddie Van Halen. Man, mm -hmm. that sounds like Eric Johnson. Mm -hmm. That sounds like you know, whatever they're doing, whatever mm. they're playing through, wherever they're, you know, you can always kind of hear this personality come right, through. Right. And that's not necessarily achieved by being like the most complete, technically adept, nerd out, whatever. It's like kind of a combination of just some, you know, almost childlike curiosity mm -hmm. and also just unbridled, just let yourself run away with it, you mm -hmm. know, and, and focus on what you do naturally well, you know? Yeah. And don't try to force a style. Just go with what flows down river. Oh, absolutely. Discover your own. And so that really made a big impression on me because at the time, you know, everybody's playing, you know, three note per string scales, diatonic scales, mm -hmm. whammy bars, tapping, all that was really in vogue. And he was doing some tricks and stuff that weren't really like you didn't see everyone. Right, doing. right, right. And, you know, he didn't have a whammy bar. He was playing a Les Paul, like when Les Paul's were. That was my grandpa's guitar or something, you know? That's what everybody had a pointy yeah, guitar and a pointy Rose headstock. Had, you know? Randy Rose had it. He was going off with Ozzy. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, this was a little bit later, a few For years sure. later. And so it was like, you know, he did, he was doing a lot of things that, like, I didn't see anyone else doing. Right, right. And I'm like, okay, well, he's just taking this great bag of influences from the 70s and shook them up and threw them on his table and arranged them a little differently. And, you know... Playing with Ozzy was a dream gig, you know. It's yeah. like you gotta like have a heart. Didn't he name his kid Ozzy? Uh, he's got one. His name's Sabbath Page, I think. Oh, is it okay? Yeah, it's something crazy. Like, I remember we went and saw Pride and Glory. He's like, yeah, I even named my kid after Ozzy. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like one. The youngest one I think is Sabbath. Sabbath Page, Hendrix, Halen, or something. It's really crazy. Just toss them all in a bucket, yeah, right, pull them out right. one by one. Right. right. So, uh, you know, I've really got a lot of mileage out of thinking about that all these years later, you know, and just kind of like trying to find your own voice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, anybody can be an imitation, but you're just going to be only second or third best to yeah. where you're copying. Yeah. And so it's cool and all that, but I always felt like I had a, you know, I wanted to develop my own voice. I wanted to do my own songs. Of I mean, it's. It's what tone chasers try to do as well. So it's, you know, you try to find your sound and you try to find your voice. So, yeah. So my bit of advice, you know, I really got, you know, after you and I got to the, the whole acoustic thing. Yeah. 
you know, I really got into the folk scene and I was writing folk song stuff and I became a huge Arlo Guthrie fan, which Heck was yeah, also man. my dad introduced me to Arlo Guthrie as well. So there's another segue there. And I got to meet Arlo. I went to one of his concerts, oh, bought yeah. his tapes, and I, I went up to, uh, you know, shake his hand and have him autograph my tape. I go, Arlo, man, do you have any words of advice for an aspiring folk musician? <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> True that. So, but he's still going strong. He's actually going to be in town, uh, God, the spring. I saw him at he's, that deal that uh, Christofferson did a couple of years ago. Yeah. It was Christofferson and Arlo and Shooter and Jesse and. You know, it was a Leonard Palatier concert, mm -hmm. the benefit show down at the BOK Center. That was great. Oh, I even got my folks into being huge Arlo fans. We sat out in the rain for five hours in Milwaukee one day just to watch them play at this this festival they had going on. <laughs> and Dad loved Arlo ever since then too. So we, but uh, yeah, he's 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 doing his last performance at the Alex's Restaurant Thanksgiving performance at Carnegie Hall. So wow, this is his last one, and he's doing the whole tour of it. And that's the thing about Arlo that was kind of was kind of cool but not cool because he wouldn't always play alice's restaurant when i go and see him because he'd sit there and say hey you know what guys there may be some songs that i played that or didn't play that you wanted to hear but you know catch me next time maybe we'll catch him then so and he would he'd shake it up but i mean 50 years of doing this i'm sure you kind of want to not play alice's restaurant man, man I, night, but, you know, I don't know man it's, it's just, a hard song to play it is hard there's a lot of dang lyrics yeah. to it a lot of lyrics and then you know it's not the easiest of a uh, groove to play either but mm. anyway so yeah, that was my uh, Arlo's big influence on me as well, and you know his his dad uh, his dad's museum is here the Arlo or the Woody Guthrie Center yeah with his archives are here in Tulsa we got the Bob Dylan archives now in Tulsa mm -hmm. you and I need to do a whole series on Tulsa's music history yeah we need to go to the church studio we need to Kane's Ball we mm -hmm. guys I think we're really going to work on that and over the next uh, probably this next spring I think we're going to go around and we're going to pick. The historical spot that's very influential in Tulsa's music. We're going on a field trip. Field trips, yes. Bring a sack lunch, and <laughs> and we're going to talk about this stuff because there's this new resurgence too, and it's something that we're going to announce real soon too about a uh, exciting thing that we're going to be involved with as far as the Tulsa music scene and having having to bring, uh, helping to bring the uh, the the next generation up and really try to kick kick it in the tail and get Tulsa back to being that really really cool influential place that it, it's been. So. Well, yeah, man, it's just kind of out of the way enough for, you know, a lot of people, mm -hmm. they've never been here. But right. I think they get the idea. I mean, at least every time I travel, it's like, you're from Tulsa, really? Yeah. You know Leon Russell? <laughs> well, I, I met him once briefly, but right. I didn't really know him, no, you know. But well, I recorded we... with someone beside me. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. You know, it's just kind of played on the stage at Bodbilt. So. Yeah, it's yeah. like a world, <laughs> world-renowned thing, you know, but mm -hmm. it's just like everything, you know, people that are close to it, they don't really realize the impact it's had all over the world. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And I mean, I, I don't really think like what, I don't claim to be any kind of Tulsa sound person, but definitely what I, I, I do is sort of informed by that. Ooh, yeah, it's, the Tulsa sound has evolved over the years too, and you know, I saw a picture the other day with Gaylord Sartain in the Mozappa era. And, you know, Gary Busey, somebody saw Gary Busey driving, riding his bike down Riverside last week. Yeah. He's in town again. And, yeah. you know, we've got uh, Danny Boy O'Connor, who's just refurbished the entire Outsiders house. Yeah, man. Where they shot the Outsiders movie. And it's like, there's a lot of really cool pop culture things that are really happening again. And uh, I'm kind of excited. So I'm excited to start this new project. We'll, like I said, we'll announce it soon. And uh, But until then, salute. Good salute. podcast. Hey, look for your influences and love it all. Love it all, man. Oil fire for, for you. Yeah, oil fire. Cheers. <laughs>